When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Daryl Peart, and you're listening to Wood Talk Online. You're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlist. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 52 for March 18th, 2009. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlist. And if you hear anything today, if you hear a comment, or maybe you have a, or maybe you have a comment, and you have a question, or anything about, wow, I'm totally throwing this off. But okay, <laughs> screw that up right this. from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If you want to leave a comment about how bad Matt screwed this up right at the very beginning, you have a couple different ways you can get a hold of us and razz the living daylights out of it. That's woodtalkonline <laughs> at gmail dot com, or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at six two three two four two two four five zero. You know what? The sad thing is I've got this paper right in front of me that I keep telling myself I should memorize this because it's only, what, our 52nd episode and I still don't know what I'm saying. I was going to say 52 and, episodes of saying the same line and you still mess yeah, it up. That's great. Exactly. You know, And it's right here in front of me on paper, in print, and I still can't get it right. But, hey, you know, that's that's half the fun of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. That it is. Uh, Matt, what's going yes. on in the workshop? It sounds like you haven't you haven't had much time to get down there lately. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely not have not had a chance to. I mean, it's it's been horrible. I've been going through this. The only way to describe it is like a dry spell. I really, the moments I do have a chance to come down, I turn on the light, I stand there, and I look at the workbench, and then I turn off the light and walk out. It's it, we all go through this, you know. It's and it's not a lack of inspiration, and it's not a lack of not having something. Well, maybe it is a lack of inspiration. Maybe that's what it is. I'm working on a project, which is I'm still continuing building some bookshelves for my wife but it's like one of those man i walk in and i just don't want to, i'm gonna go sit up in the easy chair and watch some like dancing with the stars or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that i think it's a seasonal thing sometimes i mean we i confront this all the time too and uh i, I don't know what it is but i find that um you know the thing that breaks me out of it is is doing either like a shop project uh improving something in the shop uh watching some videos or taking a class, you know, if you can get the time to do it. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We do have a class coming up in April. But speaking of classes, that's a great segue into uh, I think somebody I know and including somebody in the chat room who should remain nameless, Tree Frog, uh, got to go to a really <laughs> awesome class and even talk about it. So rather than me going on about what I'm not doing, let's talk about what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, we we had a blast. Uh, I went to uh, well, I guess it's kind of Anaheim ish. Uh, to the William Ng School and took a class with Daryl Pert and I blogged about it. So most of the people listening probably already know about it, but uh, we built his arched Aurora end table and it's uh, in the green and green style and uh, just an amazing project, really well designed. And I spent, uh, well, five, it was supposed to be six days, but uh, Tree and I moved pretty quickly and we wound up finishing it up in about five and brown nosers <laughs> yeah you know well here's the thing it is hard to to move quickly in a classroom environment um because you have you know there's six seven eight people in there all trying to get on the same machines and it's not until the project really gets moving uh day two or three that you start to separate as a group you know some people are in the front some people are in the back and then it's not as much of a problem to get on the tools but uh you do want to try and keep up you know stay at the front of the line if you can because usually that's when the machine is set up perfectly before right. eight, eight other people get on it and screw things up a little bit um yeah, so <laughs> I, I can see that because at one class we did actually do like a, a cut thing it was about a year ago and I, I i know exactly i was somewhere in the middle and that's only because I was trying to be a gentleman and let this lady ahead of me. And then it turns out that there's no way in the world that I should have let that lady in front of me. Damn it. Yeah. You know, you definitely have to, to, to exercise a little bit of, uh, I don't know. Well, the thing is you want people to do well too. You want to help them along and give them a chance to, uh, to catch up. But at the same time, you want to make sure that, you know, you're getting your stuff done as good as it can be. So, um, no way they should be in awe of everything I'm doing. That's the way I look at they it. They probably should be. You're right. Uh, but anyway, it was it was a good time. Uh, Daryl was a, a very good instructor and was very thorough and, and managed to balance having people at all different stages of the project, uh, helping, you know, Tree and I usually were the first ones to to try something. We'd set it all up together. So it was kind of kind of fun to see everything go together. Uh, but what wound up happening was we finished a day early. And on the final day, we spent that time up at the Gamble House, uh, one of the, the green and green ultimate bungalows. And took a little tour and just had an absolute blast. I mean, it was it was a great way to cap off what was an incredible week uh, and a very inspirational week. And, and, you know, not to get too philosophical with the whole thing, but it's, it's one of those weeks that I think uh, sort of will serve as a transitional period for me as a woodworker um, mm-hmm. in opening my eyes to just something else that's out there and so, in, a, in a direction that I need to go with my own woodworking. So... Um, right. it, it was very, very cool. And, um, you know, I'd like to thank Tree and, and Daryl uh, Peart and uh, the William Ang School. I mean, it was it was great. It was a lot of a lot of fun. So if you have a chance to take a class with either Daryl or some of the other classes at uh, William School, it's definitely something you want to take a look at. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as we were talking before we came on here, it's just a house like that would just put me in like in a coma, like in a good way. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't know if you're familiar with there's a magazine called American Bungalow. Mm-hmm. And that one to me is just that is like arts and crafts kind of stylish magazine crack. There's no getting. I mean, <laughs> I get that magazine. I open that up and I'm useless. I really am. It's just like one of those. You just flip through it. And you're like, oh, my God, I want that. <laughs> oh my god, I want to build that. Oh my god, I'm going to do this. I mean, if I had my way, our 1950s house, our ranch style house, would be converted into like you know a green and green style museum if I could do it. I sure. mean, it's just 
So yeah, so you being there, that's that's the mecca as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. I mean, when you go into this house and uh, the way I look at it is it's you know how you see a really just nicely designed piece of furniture that is just masterfully designed from top to bottom. Every feature in detail um, satisfies form and function and just looks absolutely beautiful. And it just all makes sense. And you, you sort of, you know, even that just in a piece of furniture can can kind of, you know, be mind boggling to an extent. Now, imagine that same principle, that same concept on an entire house from top to bottom where every corner, every inch of that house is master planned and nothing is taken for granted or overlooked. Um, that is just amazing. I mean, it goes to a level that I can't even fathom uh, being right. able to to master plan something like that, which just kind of shows you the genius of uh, of the Green Brothers and also the Hall Brothers, which kind of brings me into what I was going to, the last thing I was going to talk about is, uh, I don't know if, if you, it, maybe I talked about this before, the, the frame uh, that was made by one of the, the Hall Brothers, the Hall Brothers were the ones who actually built uh, all the green and green stuff, and the Greens okay. were the ones who designed it. So the uh, one of the Hall brothers, John Hall, made a mirror, and it had this really cool frame, and it's going to be one of the projects I'm going to do. Well, Daryl happens to know the, I guess it's John Hall's great, uh, the who, what? I think it's just his grandson. Oh, it's Peter's. The brother brother is Peter Hall. It's his grandson. So it's uh, John Hall's great nephew or some crap like that. But um, his name's Gary Hall. And he uh, actually came down with the mirror and let us uh, check out. I mean, he was incredibly gracious with letting us uh, touch this thing and actually take measurements and spend some time with it. I got video. I got pictures. And we're talking a hundred-year-old frame here made out of walnut. It was just it, just an amazing experience. And, and to be able to actually uh, touch this thing and hold it was incredible. Very, very cool. Wow. That, that's amazing. Wow. That's just... Oh, man. I, I can't even begin to imagine that. So I don't want to. So let's move on. <laughs> Moving kidding. on. No, no, I, I no, agree. That, that's really exciting, though. I mean, when, when you mentioned that, I was, I was really kind of following along the blog and the, the opportunity to do that and then to actually be able to, you know, to, to hold that and everything else. Again, awe-inspiring. Yeah, it was definitely cool. Okay, cool. so we can move on to emails. And uh, we've got a, actually got quite a few, but um, also we'll combine that with our Around the Web feature. And, right. you know, keeping with our theme of classes and, and taking classes and woodworking education, we I got an email about two weeks ago from Edward, and Edward was discussing schools and making a career change, and he was kind of just reminding me that we need to, to sort of push the, the uh, sort of let people know that these opportunities and schools are in their areas, and all they need to do is look, and they'll find them. Uh, and there's some really great things out there. So let me read a little bit from his email. You'll you'll see what he's getting at here. He yeah. says, last summer, I decided to, to make a career change. So I packed my things, moved back to Anaheim, and enrolled in a woodworking technology program at Cerritos College. I've been a full-time student since August and have been really impressed not only by the shop, but by the faculty and staff as well. Uh, just taking Brian Miller's finishing class alone would have been worth the move. If you've never heard of Brian before, his resume, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I guess he's uh, done work on the Gamble House, the Blacker House Restorations, uh, and he teaches a class at William Ang School. And he says, the funny thing is that even though I lived in Southern California for more than 26 years, I never heard of these programs until I started listening to the podcast. To be quite honest, most of the people, including several of the woodworkers I've talked, talked with out here, have no idea that these schools offer woodworking classes and don't fully understand how much these schools have to offer. 
So the point is, you know, especially Southern California, I lived there before, so I'm kind of familiar with some of those programs, but there's Palomar College and apparently Cerritos College. So if you are, if, let's say you can't necessarily afford some of the private schools because it's not cheap. You know, I'm not going to kid you. It's definitely not cheap. But there may be opportunities for evening classes, and if you really want to get into it, uh, more long-term credit classes that you could take in woodworking at some of these schools. So it's something to, to look out for. It's definitely, you know, a resource we don't want to lose. Right. No, absolutely. So he, he also, uh, well, what I thought would be good to do is if, um, you know, the best thing to do is look in a directory if you can. So there's quite a few right. out there. Um, I picked two uh, directories that I thought were, you know, pretty inclusive, even though you'll find some that are in one but not in the other. Uh, Taunton has one on Fine Woodworking's website. Very long address. I'll just put it in the show notes for you. And uh, also Woodworking News has a directory. And I think between the two of them, you're going to cover just about everything out there. So check that if you're really looking for good classes and you want to make sort of long-term goals in woodworking that involve taking classes. Check those directories out for your area and you might find something. Right. You know, that, that's a fantastic point because, you know, the Around here, I don't know if it's just a lack of my not looking, which it could easily be that happens quite a bit, <laughs> but there's there's not really that much offered in this area. And so I, we have a local community college that, you know, they offer everything except for woodworking, any kind of tech, you know, like, I don't even mm. want to know if you want to call it a technology type thing, but like a woodworking class or anything like that. Sure. Uh, the, I know little ways from me is we actually have a, a really decent art and design school and they offer a, um, a furniture design class, but it's almost one of those that last time I checked into it, so maybe I should check into it again because it's been a couple of years, it was only open to enrolled students. You had to be pursuing a degree mm. and it's like one of those, you know, with, with as much interest and I know we see this quite a bit since we're right in the middle of all of this, it might be another one of those things that I don't think I have anything to lose by basically approaching them and saying, look, I would love to take the class, but I'm not enrolled in a degree. I already have a degree. I don't need another one. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I just want to get in here and have fun, you know, and I won't take up too much space. And I could even talk about you guys. I have a popular podcast. Well, there you go. Popular amongst a couple of friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, if you can just convince them to do some night courses or something like that, continuing education stuff, that's always a possibility. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic that we have these schools up there. And like you said, you're going to put all of these in, in the show notes. Yes, cool. absolutely. Cool. All right. So what do we have up here next? You're, have a, you had a follow up on the, on the panel saw discussion from last yes, week. Yes, we did. Yeah. It's, I, see, I was so lost in the school directory here. <laughs> I'm going to keep <laughs> you going here, Matt. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have another Matt who actually wrote in and he had a, a follow up, like I said, on a panel saw discussion. And he wrote in and he says, hey, guys. I was listening to some of the older episodes of Wood Talk Online, and in one of those episodes, he's not quite sure which one is off the top of his head, neither am I, uh, the topic came up from a listener about having a panel saw in the shop. I think it was actually the last episode. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the first projects I tackled was actually building a panel saw for my shop. I got the plan out of an issue of Shop Notes, uh, and he said it cost only around $400 or so for the lumber and hardware, considerably less if you consider the fact that um, one that you could pick up from a manufacturer is anywhere from a thousand on up. So as a novice woodworker, the project had its challenges, but it was a lot of fun to make and it works great. And he is actually a lumberjack and we'll put a link in the show notes for this where he has the, uh, the, the panel saw that he made posted at lumberjacks. It's definitely a neat project to check out. And cool. Lumberjacks is free. So that, that's really cool. Cause that's something I've thought about. Nothing is worse than being in a basement, dragging full sheets of plywood down in the basement to rip is just, I hate it. Yeah. And when I buy it from the home center, 
which I'm trying to do now, or try to avoid doing now that I suddenly discovered how great really good plywood is. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard having them you know rip it for you or cut it to whatever you want because they always seem to be just like we got no guarantees that this is going to be like forty seven and what'd you say three sixty fourths right we'll get it at forty eight buddy <laughs> you know that kind of a thing sure so having one like if I could I I know exactly where I could put it in the shop it wouldn't or in the, in the garage it wouldn't be on my wife's side it would have to be on my side because I don't think she would go for it but yeah setting something up like that would just be amazing I mean cool. that, that would definitely work out fantastic so. Matt, thanks for uh, sending us the uh, the project. Let us know about it, and we'll make sure to let everybody know where they can find the uh, the project itself lo- listed in Lumberjocks. Yeah, very cool. All right, you had another one here. I'll let you take the rest of these after this one. But uh, okay. Woodworkers List, this is just something that we wanted to mention by uh, Bob Egbert. It's woodworkerslist.com is a new website. Uh, why did that not come up? Huh. No. Did, did you get that? Are you getting that to come up, or is it just me? Um, well, I've got it in my, it's in my list here. I've got the, the, the link for it. It says closed for business. This was working oh. earlier. Well, you know what? I, he moved recently. It's not the new one. <laughs> so, this is well, like, you know what, folks, if, if it's working, it'll be there eventually. <laughs> this is like a couple hours old. How could we, this, this is crazy. Anyway, if it's still working, there's a website out there, woodworkerslist.com. And essentially, if I recall correctly, it was a review site, correct? That's Okay. Uh, actually, it, it, there are reviews there, okay. and a lot of it was kind of like a – I don't want to say um, a, a Craigslist for woodworkers, but that oh. was one thing that was on there was a uh, a means for people if you have an, an item that you want to sell, maybe some lumber or you're looking for something specifically. There was actually like a an ads section on there specifically for woodworking tools. In fact, I think one of the things that was listed was a, a, a homemade – uh, bandsaw for milling lumber, basically, like oh, wow. a large uh, horizontal one the last time I looked down there. So something worth checking out. So basically a, a woodworking-specific classifieds sort of right. website when it works or when it's – When it works, yeah. I'm looking at it right there, but I, <laughs> if you're having problems, I'm almost afraid to go to it. Who knows what it would do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll hopefully that will work by the time this actually goes out in the feed. <laughs> okay, no problem. All right. All right well, a couple more things that we have, and I found these. I thought these were just kind of kind of funny, quirky little things. How many times have you ever, like, you're getting ready to glue something, and let's say, obviously, wood to wood, it's pretty easy. We know which glues to use. But what if you have, like, metal to wood or maybe metal to plastic or hmm. leather to wood or something like that? You know, occasionally you're like, oh, which one is the right – at least I am. Oh, which one is the right one? You know, that kind of a thing. Sure. Well, there's a website, and they call themselves This to That, and essentially it's a glue calculator to help you determine which type of glue is the best choice for your project. Of course, we'll have this in the show notes. I went there, and I was playing all around. I'm like, I want to find out what happens if I stick paper to human flesh. Which one could I use best for that? <laughs> and it didn't come up because human flesh isn't an, you know, one of the things Not one listed. of the choices. <laughs> right. But then, of course, they, they seem to be a little biased. Apparently, I think they're associated with a specific glue maker, not one that I'm familiar with. So a lot of times that specific glue maker keeps coming up in the list. But they do offer a, a lot of different options if you want to do that. And they even have, I think it's a glue of the day or a glue of the week. Wow. So you don't, you don't see that very often. Not at all. No, and I'm, I'm researching now. If I were to glue rubber to glass, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'd want to do it. But if I ever wanted to, I would use General Electric Silicone 2. Or for a faster alternative, I would use Seal All. And I've never heard of either one of those. But that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, well, you see, the reason why you would uh, glue rubber to glass is when you drop the glass, you don't want it to shatter. You want it to bounce right back up into your hands. Fair enough. That that could possibly work. Wow, that's okay. actually a pretty cool link. Yeah, that was. I, I can't remember how I came. I, I think it was through Dudecraft. We talked about Dudecraft a while ago, and that was the one that I found it. So oh, cool. Definitely. All right. Now, the other thing I have on here is, of course, everybody is familiar with Carrie Haltman. She is the Village Carpenter blog. She's my BFF. Stop lying. No, she is mine. Quit saying that. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, though, uh, she shared a link a while ago on her website from a a reader of her own blog by the name of Heinrich. And it is actually a link, and this is all in Swedish or, anyways, a foreign language to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 1923 film featuring three different craftsmen building wooden shoes, wooden spoons, and chairs. And they're doing it all by hand, only using basic hand tools. So it almost looks like and it, there's actually little. It, it's, it's obviously it's an, an old no-talky movie. It's all black and white. <laughs> right. But it is so freaky, especially this guy that's making the uh, the wooden shoes. I mean, he breaks out like a hatchet and he hatches. It's almost like he cuts, th- cuts down the tree and then he has some guy sit there and then like, you know, shapes it to the guy's foot and then starts hacking away with the saw, with the, the axe and then gets <laughs> out this giant boar thingy. And y- you definitely have to check it out. Even if you are all power tool, you'll get a kick out of just seeing these guys work. It's a riot. And awesome. They're bet. Their benches look like something that Chris Schwartz would have had just as, you know, scraps in the back pile, basically. So, <laughs> so we'll have that in the show notes and definitely check it out if you get a chance to. Yeah, I will. Cool. Oh, wait, I have one more thing mm-hmm. before we move on. Uh, I'm just letting let's you go here. through your list here, pal. <laughs> I had to throw that piece of paper out of the way. I'm like doing like, you know, like, just off to the side here. All right. So uh, we mentioned before Lowe's Creative Idea Pages. That's where they have those neat little projects or whatever for all the different levels. Mm-hmm. Well, I just received an email today that they're starting a four-part video series. And the first one will air March 19th. And it's uh, on building an Adirondack chair. So oh, cool. I, I watched the preview. Looks pretty neat. They're going to walk you through the whole thing. But They've got these four videos coming out like over a month, month and a half span. So mm-hmm. uh, you might be able to just get the project and build it by the time they finish it. So it's, but it's kind of neat to check it out. Cool. Very good. All right. Well, we do have some news to go through. And the big news is um, the contest, uh, the giveaway or whatever we're supposed to call it uh, <laughs> from, from a, uh, what was it? Our last show, right? Yep. Yeah, the Acanthus Workshop Class Giveaway featuring Chuck Bender. Yay, Chuck Bender. Uh, Anyway, Chuck Bender's website, acanthus.com, A-C-A-N-T-H-U-S.com. To what? He's in the chat room. room. What's up, Chuck? Okay, so we have a winner, and the winner was notified a couple days ago, but we're announcing it on the show. And the winner is David. How do you say that last name? It's French. Uh, Clotier? Something like that, C-L... O-U-T-I-E-R. Um, Matt would say it, Clodier. Uh, Clodier. Um, anyway, David was the lucky winner and actually got himself a class. So congratulations, David. Yeah, congratulations. That's really awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, when we were just, you know, the whole theme today is is like classes and education and, and taking classes. So this is great to be able to uh, to announce this. So um, That's right. We're, we're a classy show that's going to school you. <laughs> it's very classy. Uh, thanks, Chuck. We really appreciate it. And thanks for hanging out in the chat room, man. It's great to have you there. Yeah, definitely. Now, we had some questions um, that w- it was all part of the contest. You had to get these personal questions about uh, a number of us um, correct in order to to win. And I don't think anybody got all of them. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have gotten all of them either. But 
<laughs> Some of these questions were a little bit obscure, but um, I figured we'd run through. There's 15. We'll just uh, we'll blow through them real quick and okay. give the answers in case anyone was curious. And uh, some very interesting and useless information in these questions. Um, all right. So number one, we'll just alternate. We'll go back and forth, Matt. Okay. Sounds good. Let's okay. Number one, what city was Chris Schwarz in where he fainted during a woodworking demonstration? I would have paid money to see that, but... Um, <laughs> well, he almost did it when we were in Kentucky, but he caught himself. Apparently, uh, was a little too much Mexican food the night before. Really? Uh, yeah. So he well, has I'm a habit of he, fainting. <laughs> to me, he looked like he was. I think he was just tired. It was a very busy weekend. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm so hot. <sighs> okay. Anyway, the answer is Ontario, California. That's right. Okay. The second question was, in what city was Chris Schwartz? when he had an expensive infill plane stolen right out under his nose. Ooh. And no, it didn't have anything to do with me last year in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer was Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. Okay. I'm getting a, a secret note here from my secretary. What? Uh-oh. She's going to answer all of them? It says, you should send me to answer your, get me to answer your questions. You don't know how to read my writing. Boy, this girl just confuses me. You need um, a new secretary. I do need a new secretary. Okay. So, number three is, where did Bob Lang go to high school? Oh, I know this one. I know. I know. <sighs> Theodore Roosevelt High School in Kent, Ohio. That is correct, Matt. I'm not sure how anyone would know that, but that was one of the questions. I see. He had a, he had a blog where he mentioned going back to school. I don't know if they had a big parade for him or not, but <laughs> okay. a, a Bob Lang day. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number four. Chris Schwartz has referred to Bob Lang's taste in music as 60s to 70s rock and roll, but the only musical artist Bob has ever referred to in the blog is from a different genre and era. Name that musical artist. <laughs> um, okay. I don't, there's nothing funny about this, but go ahead. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's Alison Krauss. Okay. <laughs> Who is that anyway? Uh, bluegrass singer. Okay. I don't know She's anything about right now with uh, a lead singer from Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God. My wife's going to kill me. She's a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Oh, there uh, you go. Robert nice. Plant. Okay, number five, Bob Lang has published seven books, five of them about the arts and crafts period of the early 20th century. Name the other two. And that was The Complete Kitchen Cabinet Maker and Drafting and Design for Woodworkers. Wow, so two out of five have nothing to do with the first. Wow, that's, well, he needed a switch. Yes. That's what he needed. A little change up, a little bit of a change. Right. Okay, now you might know the answer to this one and not because you have the answer in front of you. What industry did Mark Spagnuolo work in before becoming a professional woodworker? I'm wondering who in the chat room knows this one. Anybody? Anybody? It was it was uh, nude modeling. Oh, I, we better destroy those pictures. <laughs> that was definitely not true. <laughs> I see uh, Nabel got it right. Oh, well, and so Actually, quite a few people are close there. Oh, one was a big top clown. That's right, uh, Shannon. <laughs> yep, yep. Biotech, that's right. Excellent. Cool. Okay, and uh, yeah, I guess this is another one about me. What instrument does I play? Um, a tuba. It, Nicole says a tuba. Tu, you got a tuba. <laughs> it's not a tuba. Oh, is it <laughs> the, the drums? Yes, every, it looks like most people know the drums. That's right. <laughs> the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see here. Number eight. What was the name of Mark Spagnolo's furniture business? Why I get three questions? I and no, it wasn't sawdust to ashes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, does oh, anyone was, in the chat room know that? Yeah, Sunshine oh, Girl got it. There you go. 
There's a couple of people who are close. Yeah, it's Mark's Wood Creations. I still have the, right. the sign um, that's actually screwed to the front of the house. <laughs> <laughs> you got your shingle just waiting to be ripped off. Yeah, pretty much. Well, someday, you know, a uh, rabid fan is going to come by and rip that off when you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Let's hope not. Um, who's Is it my turn? Yep, you're at number nine. Number nine. What piece of furniture did Glenn Huey build with help from his father when he was 13 years old? Uh, a soapbox derby car. Uh, that is incorrect, Matt. Oh. It was a Sheraton field bed. Boy, that's quite no, a project a, for a 13-year-old. A field bed. Now, that, isn't that one that you take out in the field? Was his dad trying to tell him something? You know what a Spagnola field bed is, right? Uh, a cot? <laughs> Just a sleeping bag. Oh, All okay. Right. <laughs> All right, hit number 10. My, okay, number 10. What piece of furniture was the first to put Glenn Huey on the cover of popular woodworking magazine? And it's not the Sheraton field bed. He would have been too young. I don't think the magazine was around then. Right. Okay. It was a Pennsylvania spice box. Very cool. Very cool. All right. This one is a good one. What is Matt Vanderlist's day job? I don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> You're not even sure. <laughs> yeah. He's another, he's another lab rat, that guy. Cytotechnologist. Yep. That's right. That means I look at cells all day. Woo, yes, yep, yes. BIA. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> okay, next one. What is the name of the German shop teacher Chuck Bender had in high school? I know the answer. Okay, what is it? It's Verndy Berndy. That's 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 it. That's right. It's Verndier. <laughs> it's funny because that's almost how you would I would imagine pronouncing that. But how do you, how would you say that? What's the proper way to say that? Is it uh, Werner Dürer? Or dare. Dur. 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 See, I, I, I always get to have a problem. I took German in high school. Well, I took a semester of it, and then they asked me not to do it because I just like to run around going, Scheisskopf! And that's <laughs> not a very nice thing to say. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I know the W has a V sound. There you go. Um, okay, what other business did Chuck have in addition to furniture making? Ooh. I can't mm. even say that word. Yeah, I guess that's antiquarian books. Now, that's not the one that has horses, right? No, that's a That would be equestrian books. <laughs> right, that's I guess it. antique books was a business that he had. Well, that's interesting. Oh, wow. Very that cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Number 14. We're close to the end here. What special event in Chuck Bender's son's life did Chuck blog about? Mm, that's a tough one. Yeah, and th- I almost did this, but then I think I got booted out. Um, and that's uh, <laughs> Chuck's son was he blogged about the fact that his son uh, re- received the rank of Eagle Scout, which is actually very prestigious. I really, really wanted it. I swear, but I just, um, yeah. Anyways, okay, you couldn't so you couldn't hack it, is what it comes down to. Yeah, that was that was exactly it. <laughs> you know, I I, I I I actually went to a camp. <clears throat> we dropped my brother off. He was in the Boy Scouts, and went to one of those like three-day weekend things where they go to a camp. And uh, I was terrified to stay away from home at that age, and I wanted nothing to do with the Boy Scouts. So um, <laughs> I just never went that that route. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I was terrified too. And then my mom finally said, look, you're 25. It's you time you move on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, last question. After 10 years, in what town did Chuck Bender move his shop to its current location? Hmm? Anybody? Hmm. Anybody? The answer is Glenmore. All right. Glenmore. I didn't even, I didn't even know Glenmore existed. Neither did I. Oh, sweet. Well, hopefully, uh, again, congratulations to David on being the winner. Uh, you were the one that came the closest with the most answers. Of course, that doesn't mean that you got all of the answers, but uh, enough of them to be the, the winner. So congratulations again, David. Yeah, congratulations. And, uh, I, 
I know that you're going to have a chance to uh, take a really great class. And as soon as I convince my wife that we just need to load up the family truckster, I'm making my way out to Chuck's uh, school and um, <laughs> partaking in a class. I would love to uh, to have him come on the show uh, and let us know how the class was. So, David, if you are interested in doing that, get in touch with us, and we'll uh, we'll see if we can arrange to have you on the show, talk about the class, what you learned, and uh, all that good stuff, and uh, to uh, let us know if if Chuck is as cool as he seems in the chat room. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great, actually. Yeah, or if we can find out the dirt on what really happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, I uh, do have a few things that I wanted to show off real quick, and this doesn't do much good for audio, but I'll do my best to describe it. I'll be like the play-by-play commentary. So I got a few things here. First of all, this one's not as exciting, but it's uh, very specific. If you're a, a Festool uh, Traxall um, owner, like a TS fifty five seventy five owner. Uh, I just got a few of these 10 rube blades, mm. and these are, are new blades that they're making specifically for the T. These are actually for the, the 55. Separate them. That doesn't look right when you hold them up that right way with the uh, the, the round and then the round in the middle. and Like that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of these is a little bit of a thinner curve, so it comes with a, a special uh, riving knife specific for that blade. So if you're looking for some more blade options and blade varieties, it's nice to know that some of the other companies are are taking up the reins and, and producing some of these great products. Excellent. That is great news, okay. actually. Now, this, this Matt, is going to... This is not only going to knock your socks off, it's probably going to knock your mother's socks off. Well, what am I going to do? I'm sockless right now, so what is that going to knock off? Uh, your toenails, most likely, but... Well, that's um, good. They need a clipping. Okay. This is the pattern bit that everyone saw me blog about uh, when I was at the William Ng School. It oh, is... That thing, a pattern bit from hell or that, heaven. That looks more like a spiral head, like cutter from a, a joiner or something. I mean, look at that thing. Yeah, this is a, a massive, massive bit, and the reason I bought it is because I, I will be doing some. Um, I'm actually going to take a, a class on making a sculpted chair, and I do a lot of curved work with templates and things like that. So what this bit winds up doing, I guess I should take it back out. Because of the severe angle like that, you're able to uh, – so basically for anyone who is, is listening to the audio, I'm showing a massive pattern bit, and I'll put a, a picture of it in the show notes. Um, so it's a big, giant, flush trim bit with a bearing at the bottom here. And right. the idea is – Let me try is, and give this image real quick. Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> Imagine you're at your salon or your wife's salon, and she's about to get her hair cut, and there's one of those giant, round combs where they just flip that baby right up. And I know this because my wife – has one of these and she likes to use it on me once in a while and that's what that baby looks like i mean you look like you could take some massive hair off with that baby you could take a lot of things off with this but the 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 really severe spiral design the angle is great for just really nasty grain and going against the grain so if you're following patterns you know and thinking in terms of something like a sculpted rocker is a good example where you're going to hit bad grain a lot of the time and you don't necessarily have the option to flip the piece around in that section a bit like this is going to really take it and and laugh at you for even trying to stump it so um yeah. yeah this is a massive bit so you can actually get these if anyone is uh interested <laughs> enough to buy them um uh, william actually sells these at the school i think they're like 130 bucks it's a lot of money but if you look in turn you know if you do a lot of flush trimming 130 bucks for a bit like this that's going to give you killer results is is worth it so no, no, that's an actual router bit, not a shaper. No, 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 that is a half inch collet router bit. Whoa! Yeah, it's got a half <laughs> inch. Are you going to be doing it. that freehand or mounted in a router table? It'll be in a router table, um, okay. and just yeah, make sure you got a good starting pin there, or make sure your template 
has a good leading edge on it, so you don't have to you know contact it right away. But it looks big, it looks scary. But the bottom line is, you know how we talk about the the doll tools being the most dangerous. You know, it's it's kind of the same thing with a rounder bit. If your rounder bit, you know, just hogs material away like like nobody's business, it's actually a little bit safer than one that's going to give you more resistance and possibly hit some bad grain and just go flying in the opposite direction. So right, yeah, no kidding. Wow, that's insane. Nice, huh? That is that. That's amazing. Uh, Shannon made a good point in the uh, chat room, which is that should be the next router bit of the month. So maybe I got to get a hold of him. <laughs> Give William a call, man. <laughs> see if you can score one. Because uh, yeah, it's it's pretty intense. Listen, I have a semi-popular podcast, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> semi-popular, somewhat popular. Okay, um, that's all I wanted to show off. We can probably jump in the hot deals and hot deals, hot deals, hot maybe. Deal. Okay, I will start this one off. You know, okay. it is, uh, it's March Madness, you know, and I figured, why not have a sale at the Wood Whisperer store? Except for I'm going to call it Mark's Madness. And Oh, nice. I like that, huh? I'm, I'm thinking with I my like brain that. today. Um, so it's 20% off or more, because I sometimes like to round to a nice even number. So everything in the Wood Whisperer store, the DVDs, the shirts, the Schwarz shirts, everything is 20% off. Um, and I'll probably leave it up for the month of March. So um, head on over there and buy lots of stuff. Nice. Yes. Very, very nice. I, I I like that Schwartz shirt. I actually wear that all the time. People go, is that from Spaceballs? And I go, yeah, whatever. So <laughs> you don't know because you're not cool enough. You're not know. in the club, buddy. That's right. But if you want to join. <laughs> you could buy a you know, T-shirt for $14. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, one thing, when I was looking around for some hot deals, it seems that like right now – Everybody is so must be consumed with March Madness or they're recovering from St. Paddy's Day just yesterday as we're recording this. So I really could not find anything that was like hot, hot deals. I, mm-hmm. I found two things. One, apparently at Lowe's, they actually are having 17% off DeWalt tools. So now when I clicked on the link, I wanted to find out which one specifically. They had like all of them listed, but they did have like a little caveat. Oh, my God, I used that word right. Caveat, which was basically you have to put in your zip code and then they'll let you know what ones that your local store has on sale at the 17 percent off. Huh, so, if, yeah, if you're looking for something, you know, DeWaltish uh, might be something to check out. So we'll have the links in the show note for that. Cool. And we mentioned a while ago and I um, actually I think we've mentioned in the past couple of shows. Grizzly Tools is still continuing their free shipping right now. So you can save a buttload of money on getting that great new shaper. Maybe if you want to you know, get a shaper uh, because you're too afraid to use that giant router bit in your router or something like that, they've actually expanded their list of tools that are eligible for free shipping. And honestly, it was way too many to be able to list here. But it's just, I mean, almost all the ones that I would ever be considering are actually eligible for the free shipping. So cool. it's something to think about. Faux show, faux show. Okay, we have a fantastic interview um, from Pop Woodworking, and they interviewed Mark Adams. And if you're not familiar with Mark Adams or the Mark Adams School... Uh, so I said the Mark Adams from Mark Adams School? Yes, yes, that's that's the one. And uh, this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, I, I don't want to misquote uh, the situation, it's but it's it's one of the biggest, most successful woodworking schools in the country. And mm-hmm. uh, Mark is a pretty cool guy, primarily because he spells his name with a C. <laughs> and I respect that. Um, but I've, uh, I, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I've always respected Mark. I think he's a really cool guy, and I really look forward to meeting him someday. But um, we have this great interview. What I have here now, for the people who are listening live, you're going to hear a little preview. 
and it's a little bit long, so I don't want to play it during uh, during the actual show. Uh, but when you listen on the feed or on the websites, the recorded version of the show will have the full interview from beginning to end. Um, so if you're listening, that's what you'll hear next. Hi, this is Glenn Huey, senior editor with Popular Woodworking Magazine. I'm sitting here in an office at one of the largest woodworking schools in the United States. Now, you might know who I'm talking to. You might not at this point. But when I tell you that I'm talking to Mark Adams of Mark Adams School of Woodworking, you'll immediately know who I'm talking about. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, let's get started this way. Everybody likes to know a little bit of a background on the person we're talking to. How about you tell us how you got involved in woodworking? Because I think that'll really pique our our listeners' curiosity. Hey, Glenn. I got started uh, kind of as a fluke. I I actually never took a woodworking class, and I never really took a business class. So to be a guy who owns a woodworking business is kind of a strange twist. But I grew up in a family where my dad was a builder, but his passion was for making furniture items. And he had everything. He had a a pretty well-equipped garage that I, as a kid, got to spend some time in. However, he never really spent a lot of time teaching me anything about woodworking, but I got to spend time with him. When I was six years old, I never will forget, he bought me for Christmas a Mattel little mini station. And that mini station was kind of like a little version of a shopsmith. I mean, you could turn it into a lathe, you can turn it into a drill press, you could turn it into a disc sander. And so I got involved pretty young, at least in terms of enjoying working with wood. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, for Christmas, he bought a bandsaw that he gave to me. He was really probably buying it for himself. But by putting my name on the package, it was a great way to, uh, to get me more involved. Uh, every year, as a kid growing up, we would go to the Christmas Gift and Hobby Show in Indianapolis. Now, you've got to take yourself back. This was all the way back to the 60s and early 70s. And at that point in time, we didn't have trade shows that traveled all over the country. We didn't have all the periodicals. We didn't have all the mail-order catalogs. So really, you were starved to learn more about woodworking. But at this, at this hobby show, Shopsmith would be set up there. And I can remember watching this demonstration with my dad because his goal in life was to take an early retirement, build a building out back, put a wood-burning stove in it, and do nothing but create wooden items for the rest of his life. So as we're standing there watching this demonstration, he kept thinking, that's the machine that someday I'm going to put into that shop. But he never did have the money, and he wasn't close enough to retirement at that point in time. I went on, got a degree uh, in education, and as I started to work on my master's, and we got pretty close, and it had been about 10, 12 years or so, every year we'd go watch this demonstration. I can remember watching him drool over that machine, but when I was about ready to go out into the real world, making an income for myself, I decided that what I could do is probably go in half with him on that machine. He'd actually built the building out back by that point in time, so we did it. We bought it together. And back then, um, in order to get to Shopsmith, you'd have to drive to Dayton, Ohio, to pick it up. So we drove over there on a Monday night to get it. Tuesday night, we were really excited. We put the thing together, and on Wednesday night, he died. He he never made a cut on that machine, and it became a decision that I had to make at that time. What am I going to do? Well, for sentimental reasons, I decided that I needed to keep the machine. So I started to play on it. Now, the payments on it were 120 bucks a month. So I had to figure out a way, not knowing a whole lot about woodworking, to generate about $120 to pay for that machine. And that was kind of my whole strategy. I figured by the time it was done, a year or two later after all the payments, that that I'd have something to remember my dad by. I certainly didn't think about getting into woodworking at that point in time. But the second I started to work on that machine, that creative spirit or that passion that my dad had started to burn in me. And the next thing I knew... 
every waking moment I wanted to be in playing in the shop working on that machine. And one thing led to another. And all of a sudden, one day, I started to realize, you know, I'm doing this full time. I never did get a job anywhere else. Um, I'm not really making much money, but this seems to be what I want to do. And that was make furniture. And I did that for about four or five years. And all of a sudden, I realized that in rural Indiana, farmers don't spend $20,000 on a dining room table set. So I started to make kitchen cabinets. It wasn't really what I wanted to do, but it paid the bills. And by making cabinets, I was able to take on more work. With more work, I was able to hire people. With people, I was able to buy more equipment. With more equipment, I was able to take on more work. And that cycle went around. And in about 10 years of running a cabinet shop, I had had converted what I was doing into a pretty large operation. We had about 30 people full-time. We were the largest custom shop in Indiana. And the year I sold my business to start the school, um, Indiana was the second largest producer of Woodwood products in America. In 1989, I was asked by our government to become the technical consultant on international quality of furniture standards, and I had an opportunity to lecture all over the world, teaching other countries what technology we use here, the methods we use, products that we have available. Uh, And while I was overseas doing all these different programs, I realized that we really don't do a good enough job here in America educating people. I mean, you think about it, to to be a a mechanic, you have to be licensed. To be an electrician, you have to be licensed. To be a plumber, you have to be licensed. But to be a woodworker, you don't have to have anything. And I think that that kind of hurts our craft somewhat. So I came back from those missions with the idea that maybe what I needed to do was refocus. I mean, my degree was already in education. So it was fitting to find a way back into teaching what I really love to do, which was woodworking. And uh, we've been at it now for 16 years. So that's kind of where I come from. That's quite a it's quite a story. I tell you, it's amazing to hear that you were you were fully bitten by the woodworking bug. Well, let's take a minute and talk about the uh, school that you've got here. I, I know you have three separate areas that you uh, have teaching and have classes going on. Kind of give us a rundown. If we sign up for a class on an average weekend, what we would see. I mean, we're going to see guys working on furniture. We're going to see techniques. I know from being up here a couple times. But kind of give us a rundown of how you set that up and how you'd like to pull the classes together on a typical weekday set up okay well first of all we only run in the summer months we run from pretty much april until october all of our classes are hands-on um and one of the things that i do is is i try to bring in the best uh craftsmen of modern time including you glenn i mean you'll be doing a couple classes for me this year um and we're very fortunate for that the uh the way the building is set up is is we do three workshops at the same time Uh, Two of those are what I call aggressive workshops that involve uh, a full uh, array of all the power equipment imaginable and and your own workbench to work at. The second class, or the the other class, uh, is a class that I call non-aggressive, and that's where um, students don't need power equipment. That would be a workshop where maybe it's a carving class or a veneering class or maybe a furniture restoration or finishing class or a design class for that matter. So in a typical week here during the summer, We'll have uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of between 40 to 60 people, depending upon the type of workshop we're doing. We also do weekend workshops. We'll do a, a one-day Saturday class or a combination Saturday-Sunday type of workshop. And this year, we, we're going to offer about 130 total workshops that will be taught by about 65, again, very world-class uh, instructors. Uh, we're anticipating that we should have somewhere between the neighborhood of about 2,000 to 2,500 people that will come from all over the world to take those classes. 
So all over the world. I know when I was up here, I seen license plates from probably 10 or 12 different states that weekend. Have you kept track of where people come from? Is it something that you, uh, you, you have where you could tell us that they've been from France, from Europe, from all over, or they truly have been from all over the world? Well, they, they, they have been from all over the world. And when I first started, I used to have a map on the wall with little push pins that we put in it from where everybody came, but it got too cluttered, so we pulled it down. Um, but we literally have had um, nearly, um, probably about every country has been represented at some point in time here at the school. So they, and I haven't really tracked that like I should have, but, uh, but we, we have many, many, many international people that will, will come and take part in, in what we do. And again, uh, the reason for that is the instructors themselves. I mean, these guys are so strong at what they do. Uh, you couple that in with the fact that our staff is is one of the best staffs that there are. I mean, all the people that, that work here have been with me for years and years and years. Uh, the ladies that take care of preparing the food here do an excellent job with that. So we try to give people a real feel while they're here. Uh, you know, it can be stressful when you when you come to a workshop program for the first time. It's a little intimidating. But we try to take that away from people so the first second you get here, you feel comfortable. You're in an environment where you know you can learn. You're around other people who have the same interests that you have doing the same thing that you do. And I think that that really helps make it more of a, a community type of a feel, which we take a lot of pride in. All right. So let's step behind the curtain at Mark Adams School of Woodworking and get a little behind the scenes things. Without naming names, tell us the, I hate to use the word, worst experience that you had with an instructor that came in to teach here at Mark Adams School of Woodworking. Well, that, that's a pretty uh, interesting question. Uh, you know, we've probably done now um, over the years over a thousand different classes, probably taught by hundreds of different people. And for the most part, they're, they're really, really good. Uh, they certainly are the best at what they do. But just because you can do it doesn't mean you can teach it. Uh, I remember uh, the late Roger Cliff used to teach here. And, and Roger was a Ph.D. college professor, taught at the University of Northern Illinois, and uh, knew everything about woodworking. But I wouldn't let Roger build a doghouse for me. Uh, he wasn't really a woodworker. But I'll tell you what, if, if I ever had an instructor that got sick or couldn't make it, Roger would have been the first guy I called absolutely above every name woodworker that we have today. Uh, another thing is what I try to do here is, is when somebody comes in, if they're teaching at my school, then that probably means that they're a pretty good teacher as well as maker. Um, we have guys that I put on a rotation system of every other year or so uh, just to keep their classes more alive and fresh and stimulating. But, uh, but every now and then, when you're trying to bring in new people, you do get a hold of one that, again, can be a world-class uh, craftsman. But when they get here, they don't know anything at all about teaching. We, we had a gentleman here uh, at one point in time who was a, was a really nice guy, but, and, and he was great at what he did. But, uh, but boy, he, he couldn't communicate at all. It was, it was so bad, in fact, that uh, during the middle of the week uh, on Wednesday, uh, I had already put together a letter uh, that I gave to everybody while he was here that told them that uh, I apologize um, and that what I will do is, is you can come to your next class on me or I'll give you a complete refund. So if somebody comes here and for some reason something is lacking, whether it's through the instruction that they get, which I doubt is going to happen because I'm pretty selective now, um, but, but uh, I make sure that it's going to be right. I'll refund their money. I want to be certain that it's everything that they expect and, and we will give them everything that they expect while they're here. 
Well, you, you can't you can't have a hard time with a guy that stands behind things like that, and I'm sure that it doesn't happen very often. Um, when I taught here, one of the things that I really noticed was the camaraderie, not only between the students and the teachers, but everybody that works here, everybody that's involved with this. One of the things that stood out to me was the Wednesday night. Uh, where you have the instructors kind of give a presentation where people can get a little bit more of the behind the scenes uh, program or behind the scenes idea of the guys that are teaching up here. Can you pick out one that stands out in your mind or one that you could share with us that kind of really impressed you? Well, again, that's a pretty tough question because you're talking about the best craftsmen there are. And a lot of these guys have their work uh, on collection at major museums, the White House. I've, I, we have people who've been here whose work is in the Louvre. So, you know, when, you, when you're watching these slideshows, does any one stand out? No, they all stand out, um, and, and they're all excellent. However, w- when you look at some of these slide presentations, um, I'd have to say that probably the most entertaining of all of them is, is Michael Husselick. Uh, the Canadian uh, woodturner. He's humorous. His photos are interesting. They're, they're, they invite you to watch and see what he's doing, and it's, it's just really a lot of fun to watch him. But, you know, the great thing is, you mentioned this uh, uh, event that we do, is we do have three classes going on at the same time. So during the slide presentation, although you, last year when you were here, there were people who were here specifically for you and your class, it gives them an opportunity to see the, the brilliancy that's taking place in the other two workshops which uh, I think enlightens them, it encourages them. And a lot of times we get people who will come to the class the next year because they saw the slide presentation of the instructor the previous year. But it's, it's I'm telling you, on, on Wednesday nights when we do that, you're just seeing the absolute most unbelievable work there is. And we, we encourage people, if you're ever in our area, um, we would love to have you be a part of it. We have a dinner here, and then we go through and we show the instructor slides, and we limit it to, it's usually only a couple of hours total time, so it's not too terribly late, but it really is a big part of what we do, and people will remember those slide presentations and be inspired then from, from those slide presentations pretty much for the rest of their lives. Sounds great. I had a really good time when I did it. Not only, I mean, as a presenter, I could show my slides, but it was so interesting for me at that point to see the other two guys that presented that night as well. Very interesting time. All right, let's get philosophical at this point. When you started into the business, Mark Adams School of Woodworking was one of the first schools that I can ever remember showing up in advertising and things that i seen in magazines. Today you see an awful lot of different schools, different locations, that kind of thing. Where do you see woodworking, and maybe not specifically woodworking education, but where do you see woodworking going uh, throughout the next 10 to, to, to 15 years? Well, uh, woodworking, the way I see it, and I've been involved in it for a long time, especially being in front of people, um, does tend to be a mature craft. A mature craft meaning that uh, the average age is probably somewhere between 45 and 65. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, there was a big push on trying to get women involved in woodworking. Um, you know, we've been trying to do things to reach more uh, racial lines uh, and bring in more ethnicity to the, to the craft. And, and that's all real slow and coming. But to be honest with you, I think that what we really need to focus on now is Generation X and start to work on how can we get this younger group of people that, that have been denied access to woodworking classes in school uh, for a lot of different reasons. A lot of people think it's all liability reasons, but that's not true. The, the reason that a lot of programs have had to fail to exist is, number one, is a, is, a, is, a, is a financial side. It's an expensive thing to do. But number two, it doesn't meet the core curriculum of what most states require. Uh, to pass the test, to, to make whatever, to get your uh, SAT requirements. So they, they've eliminated that. A lot of it has been because of uh, just the curriculum changes. 
but that still affects our craft. Uh, the other thing that happens with young people is, is they don't have the money to get into woodworking. They don't have the space for it. And they're still active enough where on the weekends they're out playing volleyball and riding skateboards and that kind of stuff. So they haven't retired so much into the house. Plus, they might not have enough vacation time to, to really put the effort into even coming to a place like mine. This is what I'd like to do is I'd really like to see us move more into uh, working on how we can bring younger people into the craft. And one of the things we do here is we do a lot of parent-child classes. And even with that, even with parents who are definitely motivated in woodworking, um, it still isn't – we should have waiting lists a mile long, and, and we don't really have that at this point in time. Uh, I don't know how to do it. Uh, we, I talked to a gentleman by the name of Chris Gochner um, the other day about doing a class for me next year. Chris is one of the guys that got started in woodwork – or actually, yeah, got started in woodworking by making – uh, snowboards, and he was one of the first people in this country to make snowboards. And every now and then, I'll get people who will contact me who are doing articles on snowboarding, and they have heard the name Chris Gochner, and they want to know how they could get a hold of him. So for me, I asked Chris if we could do a workshop on snowboarding, on making a snowboard, and uh, we haven't uh, we haven't been able to work that out yet, but someday we will. Okay, Mark, it's been great being up here. If there's anything you want to add, uh, please go ahead and, and push it out to us. We're, we're always interested in any information. And uh, before we let you go, I want to make sure that you give us the information on how to contact the school, um, how to see the program list that's going on, those kind of things. Well, we'd love to get a brochure in your hand. Uh, so you could contact me through my webpage, which is just www.markadams. That's M-A-R-C-A-D-A-M-S dot com. You could always call us at 317-535-4013. Um, and if you call, I'll be glad to talk to you specifically about any class. I'll, I'll be willing to talk to you about um, programs that we have. We have scholarship programs here. We have funding available. We have a, a foundation that can help people if they have financial means or needs. We have um, a master's program. We have a Michael, Michael Fortune directs our fellowship program here. Alan Lacer directs our turning program that we have here. So there's a lot of different types of uh, programs that you can work on, both in terms of helping you financially if you need that. Uh, if, uh, if you need an easy payment plan, we could do that. But whatever, the key is to get you here, teach you woodworking. Whatever it takes on our part, we'll work with you however we need to. We'd love to have you. If you have any questions, give me a call. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. And Mark Adams, Mark Adams School of Woodworking. Take care. Okay, that was a little clip, and sounds like it's going to be a pretty good interview. So uh, make sure you check it out in the feed. If, if well, if you're listening to this in the feed, you just heard the whole thing. So, <laughs> yeah, um, no, that that was excellent. That that's kind of a, that is kind of a it's kind of a funny the little part that we did here at the beginning there. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very cool. And if you uh, don't already know Mark Adams, uh, the website you can go to it and learn more about his classes is markadams.com, and it's M-A-R-C, not M-A-R-K, because he spells it the cool way. Right. You could potentially be sent someplace else that you really don't want to be, which happens to me all the time. <laughs> you just never <laughs> you never quite know. That's right. All right. So we have a couple voicemails if you want to hit oh, those. Yeah, let's do it. Let's knock these out of the park. All right. we may uh, I may save a couple of these for, for next time because we're getting a little short on time here. Uh, okay. But let's answer Shane's question because this happens to be um, – an issue that I'm having right now as well. Uh, deals with planar snipe. Ooh. 
Hi guys, Shane Watson calling from uh, Port Hope, Ontario, and uh, I had a question for you. I recently bought a planer, and um, it's my first experience with a planer, and I just wanted to get your feedback on Snipe. I've got the machine set up pretty well, um, so there is Snipe on the end of uh, the boards I'm experiencing, which is um, uh, almost imperceptible to the eye, but I can feel it with my finger. Um, so not a big deal, something that will easily sand out in a finished project, uh, and it's only on the last couple inches of a board, so um, not a problem to uh, cut it off either. But I uh, just wondered what your experiences have been with uh, planers and snipe, uh, the latest designs um, report that uh, they have snipeless designs, and uh, as with my uh, planer, it's a recent model uh, rigid. Um, but just wondered if there's anything better I can do to get the machine set up properly, um, uh, or if uh, if uh, the very small amount that I of snipe that I'm experiencing is uh, is normal and, and something to uh, to live with and deal with. Anyway, any feedback you have, I'd be interested to hear. Thanks. Great show, guys. Bye. Okay, terrific question. And uh, Sunshine Girl gave a terrific answer. She says, my my solution is a drum sander. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's well, what I've done on mine. You know, my, my quick response on this is I've decided that everywhere that I have Snipe, I'm going to incorporate it into the project, and that's actually going to be the focal point of my giant roundover. <laughs> so it's, I'm going to have a little thumbnail on there, and it works great. I've had no problems with it ever since. Of course, in the middle of a table, it doesn't always look great, but hey, what are you going to do? There you go, yeah. Well, I actually just got a new planer. I don't know if you know that, but um, they got rid of I the... I do now. Okay, there you go. I got rid of the 20-incher, and I've got a 15-inch um, Shelix cutter head dealy whacker, and mm. setting it up basically yesterday and today, and it was very easy to set up um, with the Shelix head on there. It's That's part of the reason I got it is because it's so easy to set up the blades. There really is no setup with the blades. You just kind of pop the little, the little inserts in and you're done. Right. So, uh, I ran my first few boards today and noticed that there was a significant amount of snipe. So I thought this was really timely, uh, Shane's question here because I'm running through the same problem myself. Um, so I went through the whole list. Now, first of all, my old planer, I had a little bit of snipe and sometimes it was more noticeable than others, but for the most part, it was, under control, and I also have a drum sander, so just like Sunshine Girl, I, I throw it through the drum sander as a last uh, couple passes to get to my final thickness, and I don't really worry about it too much. Um, right. But if you don't have that, it's going to be a concern. So um, I, the first board I ran through, I was like, ooh, this is a little bit more than I was expecting. So <laughs> um, I ran through, and you know, when I have a new tool, I like to go through the troubleshooting guide. I like to do everything that the manufacturer recommends just in case I'm, I'm missing something obvious. So the first thing I did, and these are things that I recommend that Shane does to hopefully alleviate it or, or somewhat uh, improve the situation because the reality is sometimes you're not going to get rid of it. It just is going right. to happen by nature of the design of a planer. So uh, the first thing you could do is if you have rollers on the bed, you could lower those rollers because sometimes those are up a little bit too high over the base of the table there and they can actually raise the board up a little bit as it goes in and keep it high as it comes out and you get the snipe on both ends. And, you know, I don't know if maybe we should clarify if anybody doesn't know what snipe is. Uh, snipe is the, the basically it's a phenomenon that happens mostly with planers as the board goes through the planer 
once it comes out the other end, you notice that the first leading like three or four inches and the trailing three or four inches of the board almost look like they were planed deeper. You know, they well not almost they were planed deeper. So it's a, a little bit of um, you know, just it's yeah, going to be a cove effect almost in some situations, like a really wide cove. At least yeah. the ones that I had. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's basically going to drive you nuts. Is what's going to happen, and <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating. And the reason it happens is because if you think of a planer as the the wood passes under um, under the planer's head, you've got a infeed roller, you have the cutter head, and then you have the outfeed roller. So when the wood hits the infeed roller a lot of times what happens is it starts to cut a little deeper because the back of the workpiece is not not very well supported. And also the um, the momentum of the blades spinning almost serve to pull the front end up. So it cuts a little bit deeper until the second roller comes into contact with the wood and shoves it down so it's now registering perfectly flat. The same thing happens on the exit. Okay, So when it, when it releases from the infeed roller, the only thing holding it down is the outfeed roller, and chances are what's going to happen then is it's going to lift up a little bit too. So you get it on the, the leading and trailing edge. Okay, so we talked about the bed rollers as one possibility. Right. Uh, another thing is the uh, either the height or the tension of the infeed and outfeed rollers or also possibly the chip breaker that's in there. Now that, if you think about it, you know, it's basically a lot of these things are spring-loaded, so you can adjust the amount of pressure that they put on the workpiece. And some I've read somewhere some people recommend loosening it. Other people recommend tightening it. Um, I tightened mine and cranked down on it a little bit, and that actually improved the snipe. So that basically what it's doing is that first cutter head, or I'm sorry, the first infeed roller that it gets to is actually pushing down harder now and helping it stop from lifting that little uh, piece up in the front. Okay, so okay. improved it a little bit, but it's still there. So the final thing that I would probably recommend trying to do is if it's a long piece, um, a lot of people have luck just lifting up the back end on the way in and lifting up the front end on the way out. And you're forcing the piece to then, you know, sort of uh, sit flat uh, on the bench and not do what physics is trying to make it do on the inside. Right. And let's see. The other thing you can do, a lot of people will, uh, if you have in-feed and out-feed beds on the planer, you could always have them actually tilt up a little bit so that the piece as it's going through is always on a little bit of a, uh, I guess the back end is on a little bit of an incline. So it's sort of serving the same purpose as you lifting the back of the board. And that supposedly helps prevent it as well. Uh, but the sad reality is you may not be able to completely prevent it. Right. You know, if I, whenever I, I use my thickness planer and I have one of the the, uh, the rigid lunchbox kind of looking ones, that was that once I actually discovered what it was and that, that you know, there was a way to get around it. Yeah, I, I still get these little ones. So I always plan on having my boards cut a little bit longer than I actually need to kind of kind of compensate for it because I've tried all those methods. Like I said, they, they've helped a little. The first time I did it, you know, I didn't even I didn't have a clue what was going on and it was really, really deep. And it turned out that it was the same time that my dad was helping me with my uh, running some stuff through the thickness planer because he just thought it was the coolest tool. And it turned out that the old man was like, I had it down too low, like the, the actual thickness planer. So he had to stoop down to get it and his back was hurting. <laughs> so he kept lifting the boards and shoving them in. And that's what was causing it. I'm like, oh, damn it, I've just lost, you know, three, four inches on the back end. And that was before I was thinking about you know, sometimes you need to buy a little more lumber than you actually need. So I was, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that really tight where I need all of this. I can't waste any of it. Sure, so. sure. Yeah. Well, other alternatives then would be um, other things I'm thinking of as we're having our conversation here. You can skew the board. If it's short enough, you can kind of skew it a little bit as it goes through the planer. 
Um, that's one thing that works for some folks. Uh, of course, if you have a means of flattening it afterwards, drum sander, hit it with you know a plane, something like that to get the snipe out. Do that, or the you know sort of um, like you just mentioned, keeping the board a little bit longer than you need, and then cutting that snipe uh, portion off at the very end. Right. Yeah, it's a pain, or, man. It's a bummer. Yeah. Oh, oh I, nothing is worse than that. It's the one board that you need the absolute most, or it has the most beautiful figure. <laughs> yeah. And then you get that. Or, or the, my my final option, and I really prefer this one. Once again, don't don't thickness plan it. Go completely rough and go you know all natural and, and <laughs> tell people that this is what custom furniture is all about. Getting the uniqueness that you'll never see in the stores. <laughs> there you go. I guess you could do that. Okay, we had two more voicemails. I'm going to put those on the uh, schedule for next week, and we're just going to run uh, right here into Tom's Tip. Tom's Tip. Everyone's ready. I will play Tom's Tip. Tom's Tips. That's right. I said Tom's Tips. I didn't say Tom's Lips. I said Tom's Tips. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Iovino from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's Tips. If your shop is like mine, you may have a drawer or a shelf of partially used packages of sandpaper all jumbled together. Want to get your sandpaper collection in order? Visit your office supply store. They sell accordion document organizing envelopes with divider tabs, perfect for sorting out and holding different grits of sandpaper. Many of them even have a flap that secures the contents inside. Whoever said office supplies aren't fun. If you want to discover more clever, useful, or even somewhat coherent tips, check out my blog at tomsworkbench.com or visit any of the other great blogs that belong to the Wood Whisperer Network at twwnetwork.com. Hooray, Tom. Hey, how do you organize your sandpaper? Well, what's this organization thing you talk about? <laughs> what? I don't understand that word. <laughs> I just uh, I bring home the boxes from the store and then I kind of throw them in the corner because I despise sandpaper. So, you know, <laughs> it's just I, I use as little of it as possible and it just sits there. But <laughs> seriously, though, that's pretty much what I kind of do is I keep it in the boxes and then they're stored on the shelf that way. Um, Fair enough. I thought about that accordion thing before, but the only ones we have around here because I'm too cheap to go to the store and buy a new one is what our taxes are currently in. And I don't want to do my taxes anymore, so maybe I'll just dump it out and reorganize it. There you go, yeah. I have I, I do a bunch of different things. I've got a little uh, thing that I built to slide them into, like a little organizer. I've got, uh, I just keep the original boxes and stack them up sometimes. I'm not, I, I gotta get better at that, but that, that's a great tip, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Okay, we have another tip. The, the tips are just great. I love tips. Mm, I love tips. Tips are good. All right, this one is uh, our editor's tip. Tips with with noodles. <laughs> there you go. Somebody's hungry. All right, let me <laughs> do our editor's tip, and uh, Matt's going to go get a snack. This is Christopher Schwarz, popular woodworking magazine, and here are some of our best tips from our shop in Cincinnati, Ohio. Keep rust at bay with jojoba oil. Because I already have enough nasty solvents in my shop, I prefer using a non-toxic oil to protect my tools from rust. Camilla oil from Japan is a popular choice, but there's another good one made here in the southwest United States. Jojoba oil is a non-drying oil. It's made from the jojoba bush found in southern Arizona and California. You can use it as a body moisturizer, hair tonic, makeup remover, or as a rust protectant. Just wipe on a thin coat with a rag when you put your tools away. The oil doesn't interfere with gluing or finishes, and you can find it locally at health food stores. Heck, even Trader Joe's carries it. 
The stuff has worked well for me, and because I have small children, I'm glad that it's non-toxic. Heck, you can even drink the stuff, though I don't recommend that. Apparently, it does the same thing to your insides that Alestra does. There you go. Ho, ho, hoba. Nice. Now, I can just see myself walking into the store and going, yeah, I'm here for the ho, ho, uh, ho, ho, um, hobo. <laughs> I'm here for the, the hobo, hobo oil. He's all by the trash. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's got plenty of oil. Um, <laughs> that's pretty gross. But no, good tip. Great tip. Uh, good rust prevention. That's always a... We've been on the topic of rust. I think we did, what, the the little sanding pads last week. So uh, this yep. is a good way to prevent the rust from getting there in the first place. That's right. Yeah, the the, the one oil he had mentioned, the camilla, camilla chamomilla. It's not, no, not the chamomilla <laughs> Chamomile? Tea. Chamomile? Yeah. The, the, oh, wait, one tea. of them. I, I actually purchase some of that, and I, I do the same thing. I, every time I use, like, my saws or anything like that, immediately I spray them with that, and then I tuck them away in their special little spot on the pegboard. That's actually a good idea because, uh, you know, you finish um, – uh, you're doing sharpening or something like that. You've got a nice, clean, fresh edge, and it's it, you got to cover it up with something because within hours, in you know most climates, you're going to get that little speckling of rust on there. So, uh, yep. d- definitely good for protection. Well, I always have to double check to make sure it's rust and not blood. Then I start checking my fingers, and there's nothing there. <laughs> fingers and thumbs. Last time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Don't be dumb. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with uh, with that, I think we're pretty much done here for today. And I'd like That's to right. thank everybody in the chat room for stopping by, and uh, all the folks on UStream. Checking us out, us uh, us good looking guys. Although you can't see Matt right now, but uh, I assure you, the best thing for all of you, especially if it's anywhere near your dinner time. (laughs) I assure you, Matt is quite the looker. I've seen his podcast. Okay, uh, until what? Like a couple weeks, we have. um, uh, Well, you know what? We got to give him contact info. What am I talking about? That's right. I'm like, wait a minute. I know I messed it up at the beginning, but I'll get (laughs) it. It's your punishment, man. I'm skipping your part. (laughs) All right, so if you have any comments or questions, anything that you've heard today that you'd like to get more information about or that you want to clarify because occasionally we need clarifying, you know what? You can get a hold of us a couple different ways. You can drop us an email at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can pick up a phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at 623-242-2450. Sweet. I'm giving my zero like I'm on American Idol. Zero, zero. You know what I'm talking about? You know at the end when they – uh, tell the people's the kid's phone number and they always tell you what the number is like you don't understand what anyway oh, yeah I know what you're doing I'm, like, now, I'm doing six two wait nobody can see it I did it though and Nicole <laughs> always gets angry when they do that and she purposely will not vote for someone who, who shows you what the number is with their hands <laughs> I don't know she's a very spiteful woman I'll remember that when I'm on there next time right. okay well until uh, next time we'll catch you later I think uh, I'll stick around and answer some questions hang out for a little bit in the chat room and uh, Matt uh, I guess I will see you in a couple weeks that sounds good all right you know maybe I'll stick around for just a little bit here too upstairs <laughs> there you go all right take care everybody yep take care planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.